It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And it's a Saturday night, Las Vegas. Welcome. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Damon Khan with you here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Another hot day here in the summer, but winding down the summer months as we move into football season, as they like to call it. And tonight we will start our college football previews in hour number two. Tonight, the AAC, American Athletic Conference, and the MAC. Tomorrow night, Rebel fans, hold on to your hats. Mountain West Conference will be in the rotation tomorrow night. And a yet-to-be-determined conference, Tommy and I will decide on the, the other one or two for tomorrow night's show here a little bit later. And before we get into tonight's festivities, some quick programming notes here as with the preseason, NFL preseason starting, the Raider games will play over on our sister station, 920 Raider, Raiders Radio, meaning the Las Vegas Aviators will move over to Fox, 1340 AM, 99 FM. So we will be uh, bumped here a couple times in the next couple weeks. Next weekend, we will be on Sunday night, but not Saturday night. So... Keep that in mind when you're looking for Heatwave Sports, not only 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, but on your favorite podcasting venues as well, that there will be some preemptions coming up. I believe the next two weeks and then a full weekend off at the end of the month as we move into September and, of course, week one of the NFL. NFL previews will start here in about two weeks' time as we get you closer to kickoff. Of course, we had the Hall of Fame game on Thursday so we're already here, actually. And um, Tommy, are you with us? Doesn't sound like it. So we will we'll find Tom and get going. Damon, if you could do me a favor and uh, reset this reset, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back, get Tom back on board, and we'll move into tonight's show. Lots going on in the world of sports. Not only was the NBA a huge, huge talking point last week with free agency. We're a week removed from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and we want to see where some of these teams' moves has put them a week later. Tommy's Yankees benefiting right now from the deals they made as they are on a nice run, nine, nine, 91 their last 10, five in a row after today's win over Seattle. So we will break all that down for you here in a second. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton.
excuse me, they're eight and two in their last ten. They've only gained a game on the Devil Race. Think about that. The team in between, though, is the one that I think that we all assumed maybe when we got to when we got to even before the halfway point. Let's just go back before the All Star game. You want to go back to the halfway point. Everybody, and I mean everybody, there are very few people that would have assumed that the San Francisco Giants would maintain the pace that they were on, would maintain the winning record. We're waiting for the the, the uh, we're waiting for the, the ground to fall, right? We're waiting for them to fall into to basically oblivion again and be, be what the, we thought that giant team was in spring training. Not only have they maintained, they've increased what I thought they were capable of, and I'll be the first one to admit, I, they were nowhere near my radar, not to win the division, not even to make the playoffs, so hats off there. But the other team that everybody had assumed at some point were looking for a fade was the Boston Red Sox, right? Kind of in a, I think when you look at Boston, in my opinion, they were they were kind of in a rebuild, but not necessarily. So they had a toe in the water. Depending on which way it would go, you would just see how the team would put either A, they'd grab some pieces, or B, they'd break it up. And I, I think that they were still at that point come July 31st. And I think that's the problem with the deadline is I wasn't impressed with what they did. They basically did nothing. They were going to go with what they had. And at that point, it was fine, right? You're over 500. You're leading the division most of the way. They've they've really struggled here lately. You want to take the Yankees' 8-2 and two mark, switch it around. It's a 2-8 and eight in their last 10. That's the Red Sox. And more importantly, the Yankees gaining six games on them in the last 10. They've, they've taken that deficit that they were at. They are now two and a half games behind Boston. It's not about catching the, the D-Rays, so to speak, got to catch the teams in front of you. You're not going to leapfrog three at one time, but you pass Boston and it puts you in a wild card situation. You know, five teams make the, the playoffs going back to the old method. So five are in, three division winners, wild card one, wild card two, wild card one and two play in a playoff, and the winner goes to that plays in the final four. So it's not like last year. What the Yankees have done is all of a sudden you're putting together in this 10-game run here, they have the, the new injection of offense, star power offense. You have what I would say is a, a schedule that was very... Let's just put it this way. The schedule wasn't the toughest, right? You want to look at their last 10 games, kind of break it down for you. You get coming out of that trade deadline. And this is coming off... I'll, I'll say this. Going into the trade deadline, okay, so... That week, they had dropped three or four to Boston, would put them at that low point. They took two or three from Tampa, impressive, all uh, two or three on the road. But the last game of that three-game set, right before the trade deadline, they were blasted 14-0. Garrett Cole rocked in that game. Coming into the trade deadline, sweep Miami on the road. Close games, but they got the job done. Good pitching for the Yanks there since then. And again... Look at the collar of competition, at least in that series back home. They dropped the first game to Baltimore, but then 13-1, 10-3, knock around the O's, bullpen. They get the wins there. And then now, coming into a Sunday matchup, they've won three of the four games against Seattle. Seattle team that I think was a little bit, again, I put them in that same 
discussion points with Boston and, and the Giants, but maybe not to that level. But Seattle was a little bit surprising for they if they stuck around as long as they did. But here you see that Seattle has faded here in these games. What, I, what I've seen, it's not necessarily the starting, right? Every, the starters were good on both sides in these three games so far for the Yanks. It was the bullpen, which was a, a Yankee strong point that you see winning these games, and they were able to win them late, although they did get it. A decent start out of Andrew Heaney, the Yanks did, who they picked up from the Angels at the deadline. And I say decent, and he still gave it for the four runs, but they were able to put up five spot on and get to the Seattle bullpen to win these games. So tomorrow, this is with injuries, mind you. Tomorrow you get game four of this set, and then here's where this next week comes into play is it's a road trip to the Midwest. You play the, the Royals, who up until recently were very hot. And then you play the White Sox, who lead the AL Central. And you're going against a, a solid threesome there. And I'll take a look at these pitching matchups for next weekend. And yes, I know we got to get through Kansas City to get there, but you would assume the Yankees should be able to at least get two wins of that three-game set here at the beginning of the week coming up. Talion, Cortez, and Garcia, the pitchers there, as you can see, two of those guys shouldn't even be in the rotation. But that three-game set coming up next weekend, including the Field of Dreams game, which will be on Fox on, I believe it's, I want to say Thursday. If I'm wrong, I will correct that, but it's, it's the 12th, the Field of Dreams game over on Fox. Carlos Rodon and Andrew Heaney. That is a Thursday game, by the way. And if you want to go to that game, tickets starting at $1,175 over on StubHub. Think about that. Game two, after the day off on Friday, will be a Saturday game over in Chicago. Dylan Cease, Garrett Cole. And then the Sunday game, Giolito, Jamison Talion. So this is an important six-game stretch, I'd say, for the Yanks. Seven, if you want to say tomorrow. Then you have a makeup game on the 16th against the Angels at home, and then Boston in Yankee Stadium there in about two weeks. We're really going to see where these teams sit in a 14-day in period. And like I said, the Yankees took advantage of a favorable schedule. It gets a little tougher here in the next 14 days, and a lot will be said as far as where these key pieces of the trade deadline set at that point. So if you're a Red Sox fan, I would be worried. If you're a Yankees fan, I'd be optimistic. And if you're a Rays fan, you just kind of just toe the line, right? That's that's what they do. That's what they do. And uh, I, I thought that what the Rays did in, in the trade deadline was serviceable. You pick up a veteran in, in Nelson Cruz, and you're just kind of going to go with the youngsters. You know, McClanahan had a solid outing today. See how that pays out for him. In the Central, the White Sox have now opened up a 10.5 game lead over the Cleveland Indians. Surprisingly, Detroit, and I don't know how many people out there bet Detroit over the win total, but you have to be kind of happy, I think, cruising coming up on that number real shortly here as they are 54 and 59 for a team that's in complete rebuild and a lot of promise coming up. They, they, the farm system is ripe and rich for the Tigers, but KC and then a disappointing Minnesota, just a, a complete disappointment with the Twins. I had them going to the playoffs. I was wrong on that one. Put the Sox in a cruise control situation in the division, but if you're looking at the number one seed in the American League, you got to go to, the, you know, you got Tampa above you and you got Houston above you. And Houston, for the, as much as they are hated 
and for good reason. I'm not arguing that. Those guys, uh, during the bubble season, we'll call it, obviously it bothered them, still made the playoffs. You're now a year removed from that, or two years removed from that, a year removed from the bubble. 66-45 and 45. with their first run tomorrow, they will pass the 600 runs scored mark for for runs scored in the season, number one in the in the whole entire Major League of Baseball. They've only given up 448 runs against for a, a pitching staff that supposedly wasn't going to be able to last a full season. And it still may not. They have a lot of, quote-unquote, pitch counters. So we'll see how the, the youngsters do with the arms there as we get into the rest of August into September. But, you know, as far as good as they are right now, they need to watch out because the Oakland A's have gone nowhere they are still right behind them, three games, 63 and 48. So the, the five would be, and actually, let me let me touch on this real quick. We talked about Seattle, and then there's the Angels, my West Coast team. I think every fan's allowed to have an East Coast and a West Coast. If, you, if you're a Midwest team, you're only allowed to have the one. I think that's the way the rules work, right? So my, my West Coast team, the Angels, 56 and 55, they've won the last three series, and they've done it without... As we've spoken on this show many times, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, B.J. Upton for a while. You just lost Jared Walsh. You're looking at a team that's the pitching staff is, it's unbelievable that they are still even considered hanging around here. Do they have enough to somehow sneak into a wild card situation? And right now the five would be Tampa. Chicago and, and and Houston are your division winners. Your two wild cards would be Boston and Oakland. So 63 is the number they have to catch. They are seven wins out, six behind. So six and a half wins. Could they make that up? Absolutely. But I'm not sure. And as fun as it's going to be to see what Shohei Otani can do the rest of the way out for this regular season on his way to probably the MVP, unless Vlad just has another run in him. I just don't know if it, there's enough there with the, with the arms to, to make a run at Oakland, or is it Boston, or is it the Yanks who are, are right there as well? I just don't know if there's enough there. That's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. So those are the five teams right now in the American League that would be postseason bound. Let's look at the National League in the East, and I, I kind of called this one, didn't I? Didn't I call this one? I said, look, the Phillies have way too much name star power on that team to be as bad as they are. I don't know if they uh, finally decided that it was time to play baseball, but they've gone on a seven-game winning streak. They've won eight of their last ten. And when you look at this lineup, and, and again, there's still, they're still named guys on the DL right now. Reese Hoskins, Jan Segura, D.D. Gregorius, all on the bench. They're, they're, you know, McCutcheon just went down, and he had he'd been playing. I, th- I think for at his age, I'd say he was having, in my opinion, a, a decent season. They're doing it with Alec Baum, the rookie. Herrera's solid, but but look, Bryce, right? Bryce is the guy. And when they put their pitching staff together in the off season, I I'd kind of, I really liked the rotation. I thought that you had Nola, who was Cy Young material. It's not going to come out that way because the is a little high. Zach Wheeler, I liked him a lot. I thought that was a good pickup from the Mets. Zach Eflin, until the injury, was pitching, I think, above projection. 
so, so what do you do at the deadline? And this, I love this this move is that you went out and picked up Kyle Gibson from the Rangers for for basically nothing. And, and is Kyle Gibson a number one starter in this league? No, but he fits in perfect where he is as a number three on this team. And then when Eflin comes back, you can decide who the third guy is because if you make the playoffs, you have a four man rotation you can head into that playoffs with. And I really like the Gibson pickup. And I always assumed the Mets were going to falter, and it kind of did. The other big move by the Phillies was they went up and picked up Ian Kennedy. And he is settled into that closing spot. He had a save yesterday, save today. You have setups in Alvarado, and, and then a former closer in Aris. And even if they decide that they're going to do a, a rotational situation, which it doesn't appear to be that way, if they do that, I think they're in good hands because also Archie Bradley in the setup spot. So hats off to the Phillies, now 58-53. And for now, first place in that National League East, the Mets a game and a half behind. Things falling apart there. I see that they've lost three in a row, two of their last ten. And the Braves don't count out Atlanta either. Plenty of scoring power there for the Braves as they sit two games behind the Phillies a half a game behind the Mets. In the Central, as much as this run that the Reds have been on, 8 of 10, 4 in a row, I just don't think there's enough there for Cincinnati to catch Milwaukee, 66 and 45, also 7 of their last 10. And it seemed that the pitching there is just, it's too good. In the long run, it's too good. St. Louis disappointing, 55 and 55 at 500. You know the rest. The Cubs basically traded away the whole team at the deadline and the Pirates will be the Pirates and out west this is this is going to be fun it's going to be real fun Giants hit the 70 win mark most wins in Major League Baseball the Dodgers 66 and 45 four games behind and the Padres 63 and 49 seven and a half behind the Giants three and a half behind the Dodgers the way the five set, though, Phillies, Brewers, Giants, the Dodgers would be the wild card. Wild card two would be San Diego. And how about that playoff? San Diego, L.A. for the right to move on in the in the playoffs. So that's going to be a, a whole situation to watch in the West that we're looking forward to. And guess what? When you look at schedules, especially when you look at L.A. and San Diego and, and what's coming up, Usually you see a heavy divisional divisional play in the last few weeks, and it is. If we fast forward to the month of September, San Diego trying to make the playoffs, keep that last wild card spot. We'll go to mid-September. They play three in L.A., followed by four in San Francisco. There's a seven-game run right there that's very important. A quick road trip out to St. Louis, and then to end the season, Three against Frisco at home, three against Atlanta at home, and the last two series on the road. Four in a, three in L.A., three in San Francisco. They haven't been very good against their own division this year. If you look at, it. they haven't been. Excuse me, they haven't been good against teams below five hundred. Let's put it that way. They should, they should be a lot better than against teams under five hundred in division. Decent, but. You're going to have to play the Dodgers and the Giants. Looks like six to 
to eight games more to end the season. So we'll see. You know, we'll get to see a a very fun end of August, an interesting September as we move into the playoffs. And, and the storylines are, are as they are. Can Cincinnati continue this pace and somehow find their way into a wild card spot? They're only two and a half games behind San Diego. Can the Mets rebound? They're in a little bit of a slump. Can they rebound and overtake Philadelphia? Can Atlanta make a run? Nobody's talking about the Braves. They're set up for pitching. If you look at what they did, the pitching staff is and the bullpen are set up for a run here. Can Oakland overtake Houston? Can the Yankees overtake Boston, Tampa, or slide into the playoffs somehow? It's all needs to be seen. And I think it's do I do I agree with the playoff format? Not necessarily, but it, it kind of plays itself into it as you see these teams become more and more the, the parity in Major League Baseball become more and more even. You know, and a lot of thought you know the biggest trades were the Yankees and the Dodgers, and what the, the Dodgers did in bringing in. Of course, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Can the Dodgers extend? You know, is is that something? Are they looking at this as maybe a run for Scherzer to see if it's his extension in, in the in the plans? Personally, I don't think that's the route they're going to go. He's going to want a, a good amount of money, and I don't know if that's that's the the route the Dodgers want to go long term since he is in his upper thirties, and will. Um, We'll see. We'll see as it goes on. But, I, I mean, you know, there's a lot to say for what happens here in the next, not only in the next 60 days, but here in the next, I'd say, 14 to 21 days in that it's the dog days of summer. It's it's fun. This is where you, you've mortgaged your farm systems. You've uh, added on payroll to make a run at, at the one thing, and that's winning the World Series title. So we'll do this. We will take the time out. We'll come back. I think Tommy's around. And uh, we'll jump back into it. It's E-Wave Sports on a Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to E-Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. Tim and Tom, he waves sports, Fox Sports Radio, 99 FM, 1340 AM. Tommy's jumped on with me. Tommy, I, I, I survived. I, I talked Major League Baseball for about 20, 25 minutes, and I, I gave the, my update on the playoff situation as it stands. But my, what I wanted to really get into with you was the, the New York Yankees. Obviously, that's your team, but you have always been honest about your team, and at the trade deadline, you were legitimately happy about the additions of Rizzo and Gallo and what it would mean to the Yankees, not only here in the, in the short term, but as we moved into September. We're already seeing the, the benefits kind of pay off offensively as you guys have now won eight of ten, or so was seven of ten, won five in a row, and you've narrowed that gap with the Red Sox for wild card spot number two. Yeah, I can tell you, Tim, you know, and um, well, apologies in but I have to tell everybody out there, look, I'm not comfortable with what the Yankees are doing, and I don't want it to come off as that I'm comfortable uh, with this Yankee season or I'm comfortable uh, with the, what the Yankees did and they could have done more. But I absolutely love the fact that they put their chips in the middle of the table. I think we always knew um, that they had plenty of offense and they had, obviously, the talent to get in. What's unique about the New York Yankees 
which is really uh, about five other teams in baseball, and we always talk about the dwindling aces, right? But all they need to do is get a playoff game. Because in a wild card game, it's going to be Garrett Cole against Seattle or Garrett Cole against Tampa Bay or Garrett Cole against Boston or Garrett Cole against whoever else you tell me, Oakland. He is the ace that is going to be favored in every one of those games, no matter the location. So the Yankees always knew, you know what, we can get back into this thing. We can creep back in. There, when I had Michael Kay on my show, he said everybody in that locker room was happy about the spider attack issue because he believed that their hitters were going to break out. So the New York Yankees not only go out there, and they not only go out there and really just start playing to their performance, but I thought the Gallo move was massive. I thought the Rizzo move was absolutely fantastic. And on a number of different fronts. And fronts that we can't exactly qualify on paper. Offensively, sure. But these are two gold lovers that came over too, Tim. And that means something as well. For me, when I when I looked at the deals, I was like, okay, I get it. And the good thing, especially in the, in the Gallo situation, was that there's another year attached to that contract. So... If his audition for for New York as well, maybe there's a long term extension and down the road. But e- either way, for me, it was like, well, you just mentioned it, right? When you talked about the arms, and yes, Cole by by all means is the ace. And what was the ben- or what did they do to benefit the rotation down the stretch? And, and the, for the down the stretch, for me, it wasn't really anything. I, you know, Heaney, being an Angels fan, I watched him a lot this year. I think he's good as a, as a five starter. That that's kind of what you're going to get from him. And today he was good enough to get a win, right? He gave up the four runs, but he, he got he kept them there, and, and they were able to come back and win that game. For me, it was the bullpen that's that's been the rock here in this last ten games. I think you know your your starting staff is just riddled with whatever it is injuries, COVID, a combination of the both. But the bullpen, Tommy, the rock for them is they've kept them in these games that they've been able to come back and win. Yeah, look. Chapman had a big-time problem for a while there. He wound up being that he cracked the nail, and it just sent his uh, season into turmoil. But then that, that made other guys just have to push up, right? That, that made other players have to kind of step up and become something that they weren't. Chad Green should not be a closer. Uh, Lewisica should not be pitching in, in high-leverage eighth-inning, maybe kind of close spots. Everybody kind of was thrown off of their respective positions and their respective bullpen situations. Once you do that, um, you know, you put more uh, of a strain on what the bullpen is. But I really do think, Tim, that it's the starters. Jameson Dion won Pitcher of the Month, and he, he was the best pitcher of the month by a pretty wide margin in the American League. Well, he's, he's pitching well. Montgomery started pitching well. The starters getting confidence, the hitters are getting confidence. That all bleeds into something like the bullpen as well. Heading into a playoff situation is Cole, Montgomery, Talion, Herman, Heaney. That 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 would be your tentative rotation, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess you have to just have no faith in Kluber at this point. But you still have the opportunity that Corey Kluber might be back. You know, look, he might not, and you have to. I think you have to go in thinking exactly what you're thinking there. And look, you could have one of these young guys. Louis Gill goes tomorrow. He looks absolutely fantastic in his first start, right? And then you have the big question mark, Tim, which is Luis Severino. Severino is going to be back in the next uh, probably 
week and a half, two weeks. He's doing rehab, so he'll probably be back, let's say, by late August. If Luis Severino looks good to him, and you have, if he looks, forget about it, 100% old Luis Severino, let's say he looks 90% Luis Severino or old, all of a sudden you have Cole, Tyon, Severino, and Montgomery. Well, that, that's a one, two, three, four. And you don't have to worry about Heaney and the long ball there. I think Heaney, to me, uh, was the safety blanket. And you called him a number five. You know, look, he could perform even as a four, but on the Yankees, he's a safety blanket. You don't want to use him in the playoffs? Because if you're using him in the playoffs, that means that Kluber didn't come back and Severino didn't come back. And I think for... Yankee fans, I know a few other than yourself, Tom, and it's always about when when the Yankees are winning, watch out. When the Yankees are losing, they suck. You know, it, it is what it is. But when I was trying to break down the playoffs, it wasn't about that, look, you're on a run. The, the wild card is right there. You're two and a half games behind Boston. And it's not about jumping to the top of the East. You just need to make the playoffs. And right now, Boston's a target in front of you. And I think we both agreed throughout this, this uh, season that – Boston was overrated and probably shouldn't have been where they were. Well, Tampa passed them, and now it looks like the Yankees are coming for them. Um, is it, wouldn't that be the correct process? Is like, look, we're not catching, we're not chasing the Rays right now. You're chasing a playoff spot. If you happen to pass the Rays to do it, then so be it, and you win the division, then so be it. But right now, target number one is Boston, or I'd say the Oakland A's, which are, are, are the team that sits in front of the Yankees. Yeah, look, I'm looking at the Yankees, and I'm going like this. Obviously, you know, they had a disappointing season. But, Tim, if I turned around to you before the season began, right, and I, I, I sat down and I told you, okay, look, on August 8th, Tim, the Yankees are going to be five and a half games back. You would have gone, ah, oh, that's a little rough. But you go, oh, wait, they're 12 games over 500, right? They're 12 games over 500 at five and a half games back. You would have been able to accept that a little bit better. If I told you, well, there's five and a half games back of Tampa Bay, you would have gone, okay, well, Tampa's just having a great year. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening here. You know, the Yankees are sitting here, um, and you're looking at who they are and what they are. I think a lot of things seeped into the Yankees fans' heads that they were chasing a Boston team that they were clearly better than. They were chasing a Boston team, and they were – Covering about 500 or so. When you start to pull off this kind of team and you start to put up, put up these kind of numbers and you're 12 games over and you're chasing camp, I think that's okay. When you look behind you and in your rearview mirror, the team that you're facing, and, or I should say in this case chasing for a wild card spot, Tim, is a Seattle team you're not afraid of. You're also going up against an Oakland team you're not afraid of. And now you're only two and a half games back of a Boston team that the Yankees are not afraid of. I get the idea of being afraid of Tampa. I do. Maybe you could argue they shouldn't be. I get the idea of being afraid of Tampa. And I think the Yankee fans can accept the fact that maybe they have to chase Tampa. I think it was more of a mindset of, oh, man, we have to chase the Red Sox. 50 games left, Tom. If if they win 30 of those 50, they, they have to hit 66 percent the rest of the way out puts them at 91 wins heading into the season obviously that's that's a disappointment to you for what you wanted them to be but there's still time i you know if you if you run 66 percent 
of your last 50 games, it should put you in the playoffs. I think 91 gets in. I think 91 definitely gets in. And not only that, Tim, I'm going to tell you right now, I am absolutely not giving up on the season itself, meaning giving up on the race. Only five and a half games. I, I'm sorry. I can't sit here and tell you that the Yankees can't win this division. They have everything in front of them. And I look at schedules, right? So you have Seattle tomorrow. Um, they're in a position where they, they might lose that game. They rattle off then three in Kansas City, where their big boys are going to be coming back. So they got Kansas City. The White Sox will be tough. But now you got games in your hands. They still have three against Boston in that spot. Okay, three or four at Oakland, who is gunning for this as well. They still have three more at Boston, so six straight against Boston. They finished the series three straight against Tampa head-to-head. I know they got a couple of tough teams in there, but let's just look at it from a scheduling position. Kansas City, they'll be favored in all three of those games, right? They got the Angels at home, that's four. Minnesota's got four games there. You should be winning those eight, okay? You got um, three more against the Angels. You got three more against, well, actually, overall, you got six more against Baltimore. They should clean up against them. They have seven more against Toronto. Five more uh, against, or four more against Cleveland. Three more against Texas, all at home. Tim, I think they have a very, very weak schedule as the schedule moves on here. And you start to take a look at the inventory of catching a team like Tampa. And catching a team like Tampa, they only have three head-to-head. But you just saw the Yankees' tough schedule. I thought, well, an easy schedule. What about the tough schedule here? This weekend alone, well, this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in Boston for Tampa. So while the Yankees are cleaning up on Kansas City, Tampa's in a dogfight with Boston. Then they go on a road trip against Minnesota. Now, they do have a lot against uh Baltimore left. But Tim, looking at the schedule here, and that look, and look, they have Miami, they have Detroit. The Tampa Bay Rays have six games left, okay, after this weekend at Boston. So they have six games at Boston left, nine total games against the Red Sox left, and their last six games of the year, Tim, three at Houston, three at the Yankees. It's just not a good situation for the race. Let's move to the National League East real quick. I I had spoke about the Mets faltering, which I was waiting for it to happen. I spoke about the Phillies making a run, which I expected to happen. But the team I kind of like a lot is the team that I picked. to. I I saw a good future value on them earlier in the year, Tommy, and the Atlanta Braves, and it's kind of my – they were kind of like my team on the side, right? It's, it's the side girlfriend there, the Braves. All of a sudden, they're just two games behind here in this division. And they went with the, at the deadline, they they adjusted the rotation. They adjusted the bullpen, Tom, and they added some veteran outfielders to that bench. That's going to be a fun division to watch the rest of the way out, the Phillies, the Mets, and the uh, Braves. Um, since early June, okay, so since June 7th, the Mets have the 22nd best record in baseball. What, what I tell you that these, this team has absolutely hit a wall. Oh, boy, have they hit a wall. But you have to not only take a look at the Mets, who I do believe they're falling apart of the team. Jacob DeGrom this week said, 
um, they asked him about, do you think that there's an opportunity that you might miss the rest of the season? And he said, not right now, no, I, I don't know, uh, we'll see the MRI. Tim, that means to me, yes. Okay. Uh, and since we love to go look at the schedule, like I told you, right, we absolutely love to go look at the schedule, at least I do, the Mets are, I have a brutal, brutal, brutal schedule. In the next um, uh, we'll say throughout August here, right? So in the next one, two, three, four, five series after this Philly series concludes, sure, they get three against Washington. They have to play the Dodgers seven times and San Francisco six times. This is a brutal stretch for the Mets coming up when they're playing their poorest baseball. So I think we're all under the conclusion that the Mets will be overtaken and it's not going to take overly that long for them to do it. They're, they're going to get their clock cleaned by the Dodgers and the Giants, who they play 13 games in a row. I'm looking at the Mets, Tim, and I'm going, okay, 13 games in a row. Do, do you think they could win seven and go seven and six? No. Do you think they go six and seven? I don't know. I'm looking at a five and eight, you know, maybe a four and nine campaign coming out of that. That's just going to let somebody overtake them. While they're doing that, Tim, okay, and I'm not counting tomorrow's games, guys, because this doesn't start until Monday, really. While they're doing that, the Braves will be taking on Cincinnati at home, Washington, Miami, and Baltimore. So Atlanta has a very favorable schedule over the next three weeks or so where the Mets are going to be absolutely getting there. You know what? Then you've got to go look at Philly. Because right now, Philly's the team that just overtakes the match. And you go, okay, here we go. Well, Philly has a little bit of a tough schedule, too. Sure, they play the Dodgers and they play San Diego. But they also have Cincinnati at home. And they have Arizona. So, I think when we're looking at the schedules, Philly can keep their head above water here over the next uh, three weeks. The Mets are just trying to not get crushed. And Atlanta is smiling heavy, and they're saying, yeah, we have a lot of room we can make up. Here's the problem, though, Tim. We know the injuries to Atlanta. Freddie Freeman got hurt again today. He went down who knows for how long. The Atlanta injury bug, it just seems like it just won't go away this year. Yeah, snakebitten for sure. And I think if it comes down to it, when you look at the way that the, the Phillies, and I know we talked about this back in April, the way that they set the rotation up in that, you had Nola, you had Wheeler as your one-two. You were hoping Eflin was going to have a progression, which he did until he got hurt. And then they went and picked up Kyle Gibson, Tommy, which I love that. One of my favorite trades of the deadline was Kyle Gibson in that, look, you're not picking up a, a number one starter, but pencil him in at number three, and I'm okay with that the rest of the way out. So I think they set up well. They pick up Kennedy for the pen, you know, another solid move by, by the Phillies. They're, they're set up to win this division. They have a slight lead now. But, but I still like the Braves for whatever reason, the feeling that they can uh, make a run for it. And really, when you look at the Mets, Tom, isn't it going to come down to, and, and Mets fans are full of excuses, well, Lindor has been hurt. That doesn't matter, man. 416 runs. They have the lowest amount of runs scored in the National League other than the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that includes, Tom, the, the Arizona Diamondbacks who scored 50 more runs in the Mets this year. That's, they have no one to blame but themselves. And you can sit there and... Uh, be the home run champion all you want, Pete Alonzo. But when it comes to the regular season, it's just not you're not helping your team out. 
No, and I think we all knew that that was the problem for the New York Mets. But, Tim, I don't think we could overlook the problem for the New York Mets when we turn around and we talk about, all right, let's really break this down. Let's really look at what the New York Mets are and the problem that is the New York Mets. And the problem that is the New York Mets is that outside of Jacob deGrom, they have massive question marks in their rotation also. Taiwan Walker's coming back to major injury, 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 injury. Uh, can you count on him in a month from now? I don't think he can. Marcus Stroman missed last year. I don't think he could ramp his innings up all of a sudden. Carlos Carrasco, what was he got? You know, a handful of innings under his belt this year, if that. I just look at this team and I go, wait a minute. The reality is that your arms are a problem. And that was supposed to be what you're banking on. You know, you're supposed to be hanging your hat that the arms were not a problem. Well, the arms are a problem. And the fact that the arms are a problem, Tim, is a major, major issue because this was the only thing that you were able to count on on this team. We all knew the offense was going to struggle. And you can add Byers, you can add Lindor. Um, this is still an offense that is going to struggle. Somehow or another, this team is benching McNeil and J.D. Davis day after day. Uh, J.D. Davis is still batting about 350 or whatever he's batting, right? I mean, the guy's batting uh, going crazy out there, and they're just not not playing, right? He's batting, he's batting 350 after the year. He's batting about 289 now, and he's getting benched every three or four days. That's a problem. The New York Mets as a whole are going to have hitting issues, but you always thought you can count on the, on the pitching, and you can't count on, count on the starting pitching. And now with Jacob DeGrom, he might not come back. Are you kidding me? It's fold up, fold up the entire season if Jacob DeGrom doesn't come back. Well, meantime, we are talking about a franchise that didn't even sign their first-round draft pick. So, you know, a lot of problems there, man. <laughs> that was awesome. That was was there was there anything in baseball you want to touch on before we move over to the NBA? You know, I, I want to talk to you about something because I always look at things from a betting perspective, obviously, you know, and Sports uh, Garden Network, that's what we do. Um, the MVP race. Uh, two weeks ago, it was between DeGrom and Tatis, right? This is who it was. Both of these guys go down. Both of them go down for the year. And all of a sudden, this thing is wide open. You know, you start to look at the teams that are in contention, and you're going, okay, well, the Dodgers, they have just too many guys out there, or you know, I guess too little. I, and you go, yeah, I don't think I could do that. The, the mainstays, guys like Acuna and Soto, they're all banked up. In San Diego, they just lost their number one guy. San Francisco's got a lot of players, but they don't have that, okay, that, that one bat that just jumps off the table at you. You go and you look around and you go, okay, what about Milwaukee? No, they don't have the bat. That's the one thing they're missing. Harper's having a nice year, but he's the MVP worthy. Um, Atlanta, Freddie Freeman having a nice year, but certainly not MVP numbers. And you go and you look around the league and you're going, I don't see an MVP anywhere. Who could be the MVP? Well, the guy that I kept pointing at was Nick Castellanos, who could get back into this thing. But it's even the, the best on his team. You mentioned Winker in the past. Joey Votto's been carrying this team for a while. Tim, I'm as confused as ever for the National League MVP. Yeah, it's 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 a mess, really. And it's hard, you know, how do you, how do you say, well, you know, it's Harper. Well, statistically, you just said it. Castellanos has better stats, right? Or what about what, um, if you're looking at home runs, I think 
Muncie and Machado have an advantage there. If you're looking at what about what about the trade we just saw? You know, you talk about the first two guys. Well, Trey Turner's put up solid stats this year too. So th- it will be a crazy sixty days, won't it? You know, I'm gonna go out and say that if Tatis doesn't come back, or at least is not ineffective, that I, I see our boy here, Bryce, making a run at it, Tom. I think because it's going to go hand in hand with the Phillies winning that division. I mean, I, I think, think you have, have to. to. Nick Castellanos makes a lot of sense. If he could get the Reds in contention here, and I know Votto's there, and I know Winker's there, but the guy's batting 323. You know, he's uh, on pace for just about 30 home runs. He's on pace for just about 100 RBIs. He's on pace for just about 100 runs. And that 323 batting average still holds some weight, even if we're in a generation of not there. But let's say he doesn't get there. Can you give an MVP to a guy that goes, let's just say, 25-85-322? I don't think he can. And, you know, you look at a guy like that, you're not going to give it to a guy that isn't there at the end, even though his numbers are eye-popping. You're not going to give it to Jacob DeGrom even at the end, even if his numbers are eye-popping. So you start to go to somebody like Bryce Harper, and you go, okay, well, Bryce Harper does have good numbers, Tim, but he's on pace to hit less than 30 home runs this year. He's on pace, Tim, 67 RBI. So the 300 average is nice. Bryce Harper's numbers. I'm talking end of the year numbers. When I put up Bryce Harper and I put up Nick Castellanos in the day and the age that we're in, can you give an MVP to a guy that doesn't hit 90 RBI? Can you give an MVP to a guy that doesn't hit 30 home runs? Doesn't have 100 runs. I don't know if you can do it, man. Especially in just the world that we live in right now. Well, what do you do then? What if they don't? What do you do, right? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I give my MVP to, and you might laugh and chuckle, and I'll be the ridicule guy here. I give it to Buster Posey. Hmm. Look, Buster Posey to me is batting three twenty four. Buster Posey has an opportunity to win a batting title here. So if we're talking about Nick Castellanos and his three twenty three, well, Buster Posey's got him right there. Buster Posey might not have the massive numbers. And that's the thing. Look, nobody's going to. Buster Posey's on, on pace for less than 20 home runs. He's on pace for 50-something RBI. But he's a catcher on the best team in baseball. And I still think defense has to matter. Right? So if you're asking me today, who's the MVP of the National League? Harper's important in Philly, who's a first-place team, absolutely. But I look at Philly and I go, you know, not he's a power guy that's not going to hit 30 home runs or 90 RBI. And he might only get about 75 RBIs. You go and you look at Milwaukee, no, I don't see it. You go and you look at Atlanta, I don't see it. You go to look at the Dodgers, they got big-time guys, they got a lot of them. I don't see that guy, even Nick Castellanos. Look, the Reds might not make the playoffs. And they're certainly, as of right now, not looking like they're going to win the division. So how do you not give recognition to a San Francisco team that has 70 wins right now? How do you not give recognition to a San Francisco team that we were talking about the Dodgers being an all-time great team in San Diego uh, chasing them, and they've beaten both of them all year long. How do you not give recognition to a player on that team that is the heart and soul of that team, that is also the catcher of that team? And, Tim, if we're talking about what MVP means, and we're actually going to have to throw away the numbers this year because, look, we're talking about guys that don't have eye-popping numbers. Give me the guy that is the heart and soul of the team, that is a catcher, the most important player on the team, 
that is leading the best pitching staff in baseball. Oh, by the way, he also tries to win a batting title. That's the guy I give it to. All good, valid points, Tom. And the crazy thing about it is I don't even see his name on the list. No. And that, that's, that's crazy. About people that get way too involved in nothing but statistics, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, excellent point. Excellent point. I, I see, I see a Harper run. Fifty games left, Tom. I see Harper, fifteen to eighteen home runs in that stretch gets it done for him. Bryce Harper's got to get over thirty. He's got to get thirty home runs. He's on pace right now for twenty nine. Um, he's got to get thirty. But it's the RBI that he's really got to get an uptick on the RBI. You know, you look at what Bryce Harper's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the guy that drives and runs. He's just not doing it this year. So the 305 average looks really good, and the 29 home runs at the end of the year look really good. But and, and I know he's, he's played less games, but he's, he's on pace for less than 70 RBI. I don't know in his day and age we could give an MVP to a guy that might not hit 300, might not have 30 home runs, and might not have 70 RBI. I just don't know if we can do it. Because if you're going to do that, you know, why wouldn't you go out there and try to give it a, a little love to Trey Turner? Now, you won't because he's on the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been, you know, fantastic all year. But Trey Turner's got better numbers. Trey Turner right now, across the board, has better numbers than anybody we've talked about. The problem is you go, well, they have better numbers. He got traded midseason. Um, but he's on pace for 26 home runs, 72 RBIs, 320 average. He'll get the 30 steals. He'll get 100 a run scored. I mean, Trey Turner to win the MVP is not a bad situation. That's the guy that I would look at and I would say, you know, it makes a little sense. But you can't do it because he was traded and he had Washington in fourth place when he was putting up those numbers. Comes over to the Dodgers, they were doing perfectly fine without him. So, you know, you, you start to kind of look at who can be the guy uh, and who can be that. I just don't see it here, Tim. This is the perfect year for, like, a closer to kind of step up and steal the award. But even that... I don't see anybody. Can a, can a Woodruff or a Burns kind of separate themselves? I don't know because there's two of them on that team. <laughs> you know, right. right. It, it is going to be a it's going to be a nail biter if Tatis doesn't come back and Degrom doesn't come back. Well, Tom, you opened the can of worms. So when we come back from the break to open hour two, we'll go to the American League side, and that's a two man race. We'll break that down. An update. We had we did it a little bit. We did it about a month, uh, maybe five weeks ago. We'll, we'll update that one. I want to talk NBA free agency as that is uh, still going on, but, uh, but some teams change dramatically in the offseason. And, of course, we'll start our college football previews in hour two. And if we have to push a conference off to tomorrow, that's fine because I really do now want to get into the Vlad Otani discussion. Once again, in hour two, on the way, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. <laughs> 